Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You know, this concluding portion of Paul's book to the Philippians focuses on the saints. It's a little tiny closing, an epilogue. Uh, it speaks about the identity of the saints, the criteria of being a saint, the clarity of the life of the saints, the worship of the saints, fellowship of the saints, the outreach of the saints, and it also talks about the strength of the saints. You didn't think we could get all that out of three verses, did you? <laughs> so we begin with the identity of the saints, the identity of the saints, their faith, the identity of the saints, their faith. Paul starts at the very beginning of this four chapter masterpiece letter to the Philippians with a statement from Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. He says in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, to the pastors and deacons and all the Christians in the city of Philippi. His letter is to pastors and deacons and all the Christians in the city of Philippi. All the Christians. In this particular beginning, Paul makes it clear that saints are Christians. Amen. Saints are believers in Jesus Christ. Now I want to take a little bit of a break from this just to help you and, and to help us clarify. The Roman Catholic Church has brought much confusion to the word saint Amen. and to the subject of sainthood. Their dogma and their theology recognizes a saint by their exemplary virtue, merit, devotion, and their religious achievement. A saint, a saint according to them, is already in heaven right away in heaven, unlike the rest of normal, everyday, faithful Catholics, who in their theology can only enter heaven after a lengthy stay in a place called purgatory. Purgatory is a place after death to make one worthy of heaven. So all the normal Catholics go to purgatory and they pray their way and they work their way and so on to get to heaven and the saints, they go straight to heaven. But in the New Testament, a saint is not an ecclesiastical relic crystallized in a stained glass window Amen. or immortalized in a statue or canonized by Rome. A saint is none of those. A saint is anyone who has come to saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Period. Yeah. Yes. In fact, saint is Paul's favorite phrase 
to be used of Christians throughout the world. When he spoke of saints, he was speaking of those who had come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. For example, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, So I am writing to all you Christians, all you saints who are in Rome. God loves you and he's chosen you to be his own people. I pray that God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ will continue to help you. I pray that you will be given much peace in your minds. Or 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the people, of the Lord's people. Again, the congregation of the saints. Or 2 Corinthians 1, 1. Dear friends, this letter is from me, Paul. Appointed by God to be Jesus Christ's messenger. And from our dear brother Timothy, we are writing to all of you Christians, all of you saints there in Corinth and throughout Greece. Goodness sakes. Paul even calls those rascals in Corinth Christians. <laughs> Christians. Or Ephesians 1, 1. Paul, messenger of Jesus Christ by God's choice. To all faithful Christians or saints at Ephesus and other places where his letters read grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ wherever the Bible talks about saints in the New Testament he's talking about Christians there's also Hebrews 13 24 in your notes he says give my greetings to all your leaders and to the other believers saints the Christians or the saints from Italy who are here with me send their love simply put there are saints and there are ain'ts I know that's not good English but we'll work on it if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord you are a saint you're a Christian now, you may not be totally saintly yet, but you're a saint. If you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're an ain't. Actually, there are only two kinds of people, saints and sinners. Saints and sinners. Are you a saint or are you a sinner? Paul said he was a sinner saved by grace. Paul says that his life prior to, he was the chief among sinners. But Paul didn't see himself as a sinner after he came to Christ. Paul saw himself as a saint. You see, God changed Paul's identity. And that's what God does for us as well. Simply put, we need to remember, the difference focuses on faith. The difference focuses on where we place our faith. If you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus and his finished work on Calvary, you become a saint. You become a saint. A follower of Christ, a Christian. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, you are and still remain a sinner 
in need of a Savior. Amen. So we started off today by looking at that, but we want to move on to the criteria, point number two, the criteria of the saints. That is to say their salvation. The criteria of the saints, their salvation. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Being a saint is not based on what you do. It is based on what he has done yes. for Amen. you. Amen. The payment for, or the wages of sin is death and separation from God and his life in Christ. Nothing you can ever do can make God love you more than he does. Yes. And nothing that you've ever done can make God shut the door on you. Nothing. You can never be good enough or do enough to merit salvation. It just won't work. You and I cannot work for it. We cannot earn it. Isaiah 64, 6 declares, We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. As Paul says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is his gift to us, in Christ. Jesus paid the price of sin for all of us when he died on the cross to save us. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Peter reminds us that a faith of the same kind as ours is by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. We move from being a sinner to a saint when we receive the gift of God. What he did for us changes us. We receive his gift. He changes our identity. Literally, we become part of a new family. We become part of a new group. We have a new father. We have a new past. We have a new future. All things, as Paul says, have become brand new. All things have become brand new. As Paul says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy he saved us. Or Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. What is your criterion for life? Why do you exist? Why are you hanging out on this planet? Who is your faith in? Who are you trusting? Where does your salvation stand? Are you a saint? Or are you a sinner? As a saint, as a saint, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> Your life gives evidence to your faith. Not perfectly, not completely, not totally, 
because we are still growing and changing to become more like Jesus. We're in the process. We haven't arrived yet. You look back to chapter 3 and Paul several times says, I have not arrived. I am still pressing on. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm moving forward. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16 to 20, he says, you can tell them by their fruit. You can tell them by their fruit. Do you pick a bunch of grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a clump of thistles? Every good tree produces good fruit, but a pa- bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree, a tree is incapable of producing bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. The tree that fails to produce good fruit is cut down and burnt, so you may know them by their fruit, by their fruit. Moving on to point number three, the clarity of the saints. The clarity of the saints. So you call yourself a saint, or the proof is in your lifestyle. Your lifestyle. Again, not perfection. Again, not complete. Again, you haven't completely or totally arrived yet, but you're on your way. Philippians 2.15, Paul says, Then you will be innocent and without anything wrong in you. Think about it for a moment. God has worked his plan and worked his formula in such a way that what Jesus does as a result of giving his life on the cross and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he changes us completely. He makes us sons and daughters forever and eternity. Doesn't change a thing. You know, I have five children. They all have had the last name Irvine until they got married. But you know, even after they got married, they still had characteristics and traits and so on of the Irvine clan. They'll carry that with them forever. Whether they're good or bad, never ugly. (laughs) But they carry that with them. They have it. Same thing is true with you if you come to Christ you have the mark of the Holy Spirit to guarantee you heaven. You become his child. You are God's child forever and ever and ever. The clarity of the saints. You will be innocent without anything wrong in you. Because he cleansed you. You will be God's children without fault. But you are living with crooked and mean people all around you. Among them you shine like stars in the dark world. The lifestyle of the saints provides authenticity to their faith. They're not yet perfect. We all know that by looking in the mirror. Even as Paul stated, but they can be identified as Christians because they have put their faith in Christ. Amen. Christ owns them. Mm-hmm. In fact, he says in one place in Corinthians, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. Amen. Bought with a price. You see, your checkbook, your calendar, 
your attitudes, your lifestyle give evidence to the fact that you are a child of God. You know, maybe not completely, but they sure lend themselves to that. We are saints even though we are not yet saintly. I've told you before, you know, to go to glory, to live, to live with the saints in heaven, that's going to be glory. Yes. But to live below with the saints we know, no. that's another story. <laughs> we continue to walk by faith and not trust in the flesh. Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 25, that it is enough for the disciple that he becomes like the teacher and a slave like his master. Or as John the Baptist put it in his relationship with Jesus, his journey in John 3.30, he said, He must increase, I must decrease. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3, Are you that stupid? <laughs> Having begun with the Spirit's power, do you think you can reach the goal under your own power? We're being changed. We're being transformed. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, Now all of us with our faces unveiled reflect the glory of the Lord as if we are mirrors. And so we are being transformed. We are being metamorphosed into his same image from one radiance of glory to another, just as the Spirit of the Lord accomplishes this in our lives. So we move on to point number four in your outline. The worship of the saints. The worship of the saints. Their doxology. Philippians 4 and verse 20 he says, so may our God and Father be glorified forever and ever. Amen. The saints are not to be worshipped. The saints are not people to be worshipped. Saints are people who are to worship. Who are to worship. Our worship should include a doxology of praise. As a family, when we get together... We get together for a meal. We usually sing the doxology. It's a blast. Especially in the, in the, when we go to the restaurants, you know, we all stop and before we eat, we sing the doxology. Everybody looks around. Well, they can join us if they want. But we really have a wonderful time doing that. It's been something that was started years ago by my family and we continue it. Doxology is the English word that comes from two Greek words. Doxology. The first word is doxa, which means glory. And the second word is logos, which means word. So a doxology is a word about glory. A doxology is a word about glory. It is an outburst of praise and adoration that honors and ascribes glory to God. A doxology is a fitting response to doctrinal truth and purity. True worship flows freely from divine truth. Listen to this doxology found in Romans 11, 33 to 36. He says, oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Or what about the doxology that you see in Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. A doxology is also a worthy response to all that God has done for believers. For example, Paul wrote in gratitude for all that the Lord had done in his salvation. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17, he says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. By the way, there's another song right there. We used to sing that song traveling along as kids and we taught it to our own family as well but I remember as a kid sometimes the travel would be long and my mom and dad would start singing these crazy simple songs this was one of them now unto the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever amen Amen, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. And we used to make a round out of that. So one group would start and then another group of the family would pick up and a third group and you could sing it that way and we did so many, so many times. Or 2 Corinthians 4.18 when Paul was facing the possibility of execution he writes, the Lord will save me from anyone who tries to hurt me. He will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Glory forever and ever to the Lord's, be the Lord's, amen. Jude also wrote a good, solid doxology for the security, the security of the believer. In verses 24 and 25 of Jude, he writes, now to the one who can keep you upright and plant you firmly in his presence, mm -hmm. clean, unmarked, and joyful in the light of his glory. To the one and only God, our Savior, through Jesus the anointed, our Lord, be glory and greatness and might and authority, just as it has been since before he created time. Mm -hmm. May it continue now and into eternity. Amen. The object of redemption, the object of redemption was to make people worshipers of God the Father. In John 4, 24, 23 and 24, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, but an hour is coming, it is here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people as his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. 
That takes us to point number five on your outline, the fellowship of the saints. The fellowship of the saints. Philippians 4.21 Greet everyone who believes in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings to you. They had a great fellowship. They didn't miss anyone. Paul didn't miss anyone. Sometimes he may not have remembered their names. Sometimes other things may have happened, but he always remembered each individual. That's because there's no favoritism in Christianity. Amen. Every single saint, every child of God is valuable. Every believer matters to God just as every believer matters to us. Outside the church, you don't lock eyes with anyone who doesn't matter to God. In the church, you don't lock eyes with anyone who doesn't matter to us. You matter to us. And so it is that you need to think about the individual. Paul didn't write all, all, greet all the believers. You know, just give a big shout out to everybody. No, he said greet every. Greet everyone who believes in Christ Jesus. Every single individual, not just pastors, not just teachers, not deacons, everybody, greet everyone. This was the case with Paul the Philippians. They, the Philippians, each one of them, individually were so valuable to Paul, and he cared for them, and he loved them, he prayed for them, he was always thinking about them, their fellowship, their fellowship was the Greek word koinonia, which really comes from the root word koinos, which means communion or sharing in common. No Christian is of greater value than any other Christian. And our fellowship is vested in the one thing that binds us together, the sacrifice of Jesus. Did you know that the ground is level at the cross? Every one of us come to Jesus the same way, as sinners saved by grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 reminds us the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? We all come to faith through the sacrificial death of Jesus, through the shed blood of Christ. We all come to Christ that way. God transforms every one of us the same way. We come to Jesus. He receives us as his child. He gives us the gift of salvation. He declares us a saint and he alters us, <laughs> changes us. Amen. Now, some of you, after that experience, you woke up and you were radically changed. And some of us were not radically changed. Some of us had to go step by step by step by step. Anyway, 
I want you to notice what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 23, verses 8 to 12. He says, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Listen to the way in which Paul describes the church. First Corinthians. You know, Corinth had a lot of trouble. Corinth had a lot of sin, they had a lot of division, they had a lot of difficulties. But to all the saints, Paul referred to them as saints, regardless of any of those things. 1 Corinthians 12, 20-27, he describes the church this way, and it partially reads, there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. God has composed the body so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. We are on the same level when we come to Christ. You know, we got here this morning and uh, got out of the car and I was walking up and I got to the stairs and I said, ow, my toes hurt. <laughs> my whole body was aware of the fact that my toes hurt. Amen. I thought, what's going on? So I took my shoe off. And I don't know how, but sometime last night when I took my shoe off, the sole in my shoe got all crumpled up. It got folded in the back, so when I put my foot in, it wasn't stable. It just wasn't fitting right. Anyway, so before I came in the door this morning, I fixed that, put it back on, and said, ah. But my whole body could feel that. My whole body could tell that. I was very, very sorrowful when I first experienced it. I thought, what's going on? I was very, very happy when it was simple and I could take care of it. Amen. The same thing is true with the body of Christ. Everybody in the body is valuable. Every single individual. Whether you do what I do and teach, whether you do what Martha does, whatever, whether you do what the worship team does, it really doesn't matter. Every one of us are super, super valuable to God. And we must be valuable to one another. We must love each other and care for one another. And the Bible says in that First Corinthians passage that even the even the, the part of the body that seems less comely in the in the New New King James, but it's talking about the fact that some who don't really look like they amount to much or they, they just do stuff that's so basic. They become so vital to the rest of the body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I thank God for those who clean on Saturday. Don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thank God for those who prepare coffee for us for Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. I thank God for those who do all the little things that people do around here because every one of you make a significant impact. I thank God for some of you who don't do anything that's visible. Amen. And you just show up. But you pray. And you share and you give and so on. I thank God. Every one of you matter. That's why I, I know I, I miss you sometimes. But that's why on, on Mondays or Sunday night or Tuesdays, if you're not here, I try to send a little note saying, missed you. You know, praying for you. Or sorry to hear you're sick or whatever. If I don't have your number, I put the blame on you. Yes. <laughs> Give me your number. I'll bug you. I'll let you know I missed you. It works both ways, you know. <laughs> In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, we see that the love between Christians is a clear sign that we are in fact Christian. That we are saints. He says, we know that we pass from death to life because we love our brethren and sisters. Amen. The saints, all about the saints. This passage is all about the saints. Point number six, the outreach of the saints. The outreach of the saints, their joy. Their joy. Philippians 4.22 All God's people here, especially those in the emperor's palace, greet you. All God's people here refers to the fellowship of those who are Christians, especially those in the emperor's palace, especially those who were part of watching Paul, guarding Paul, those who were impacted by Paul's life, many of them came to Christ. Our greatest joy, our greatest joy is to see sinners become saints Amen. by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul reveals this truth in those who have come to Christ while with him in Rome. Many of the Praetorian Guard who chained to him night and day, they were a captive audience for Paul. <laughs> And Paul told them about Jesus and they received Jesus as their savior. In Luke chapter 15, there are two stories that Jesus tells. It's a story, a parable that describes for us the reaction that we have when someone comes to Christ. A man rejoiced when he found his lost sheep, remember? Amen. Second, a woman rejoices when she finds her lost coin. In both cases, the Bible says they are overjoyed. They rejoiced. They threw a party. They celebrated. And in the context, Jesus says, even greater than that is the party in heaven when one sinner becomes a saint. Amen. When lost people are found. Paul described it this way in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Listen to his words. Who is our hope? Who is our joy? Who is our crown of exaltation? 
Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, you. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, you are our joy. You are our reward. <clears throat> and then this morning we conclude with point number seven on the strength of the saints. The strength of the saints. That is to say their power. Their power. Philippians 4.23, it says, May you all continue the journey with your spirits strengthened by the grace of the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Amen. You and I are strong because of Jesus. His grace is sufficient for us. Thank God for his grace. Amen. Our weaknesses are opportunities for his power. Yeah. Our weaknesses are opportunities for him to shine. Amen. Listen, we are saved by grace. We are secured by grace. We are sanctified by grace, empowered by grace, loved by grace, transformed by grace, led by grace, and sustained by grace. The grace of God is enough for everything. The grace of God is enough for all the things that we face in life. God's grace is sufficient. I remind you, God spoke these very words to Paul in response to Paul's request that God would remove his thorn in the flesh. Well, God said no, and God said in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. Or put it another way, he said, Paul, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. Only when you are weak can everything be done completely by my power. You know, when you can't bring in the checks, God will give you one. When you don't have the strength to carry on, God's strength is sufficient. When your needs are great, as we looked at and found out last week, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. Nothing that you need is below God's wonderful provision. Amen. God will bless you in accordance to that. Grace is the English word for the Greek word charis. Charis means to receive unmerited favor. You know, in the past, uh, I don't know, when I was growing up anyway, uh, and the king was still in power in Iran before things went south, you could see the king go from his northern palace to his southern palace. You could line up on the streets and watch him go, watch him go by in his great, beautiful, beautiful caravan. I mean, it, it just looks so old and authentic and just amazing. This glistening, you know, gold, silver, all kinds of stuff. 
But you couldn't just walk up to him and give him a handshake. You couldn't go up and touch him. Well, the same thing was true for, for the Queen of England before she died. People didn't just come up and talk to her, but she would stop occasionally get out of the car. And she'd walk over to the edge of the line and she would grace people with her presence. They didn't deserve it, but she'd grace people. She'd shake hands and interact with them and talk with them. The king has done that several times now in England as well. Pray for him too with, with his own challenges with cancer. But I just want to say that grace is something that we use so often. He graced us with his presence. Or, as I used to say years ago and still feel, you know, Michael Jordan graced us with his ability to play basketball. Some people play basketball, but not gracefully. You know, Michael Jordan did it gracefully, and I just, I just, there's something about the way he played. Anyway, there's people that grace us by the way they play, they grace us by their lives, they grace us simply by caring for us and allowing us into their presence. Some people grace us. We don't deserve it, but they give us that favor when they allow us to come and be with them or to have a meal with them. Unmerited favor or to be in favor with. So grace is not only receiving unmerited favor, grace is being in favor with someone. And here we receive God's undeserved grace, Amen. his charis, his favor. And we become connected to him. We find favor in his sight. Great favor in his sight. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 12, ascribing this grace to the Father and to the Son. It says Christ, that Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you got the grace of God and you got the grace of Jesus. Amen. And they're both good. Amen. They're both adequate. The grace of God is necessary for us to become saints. Yes. The grace of God is necessary for us to become believers. The grace of God through Christ is critical for us to overcome life's challenges. The grace of God is essential for us to sustain and overcome the onslaught of the enemy. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Amazing grace. Amen. Oh my. I'm going to end with this verse in 1 Corinthians 15.10. 1 Corinthians 15.10 describes how the grace of God is not only our beginning, our journey, it is also our favorable end when we arrive in heaven. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. The grace of God which was with me. So today we've looked at 
all this stuff about saints. Your identity as a saint based on your faith. The criteria of your faith, your salvation. The worship, the worship of the saints and the doxology that your life and your lips project. The fellowship of the saints, that is to say your koinonia, you're being committed and stuck to one another and caring about one another, and loving one another. Your outreach, the fact that we care about people and our greatest joy is to see them come to Jesus. And your strength, your strength. And I end again with Paul's words. He wrote, God gave them to him. And I think as a result, we need to remember that God gives those very words to us as well. Amen. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need. Amen. Father, we pray your blessing on each one this day. Some of us today need a lot of grace. Amen. Some of us not so much. We all need grace. Some of us need more of it. But we want to thank you for being the one who gives us that grace. Thank you for being the one who pours it out. Yes. Thank you that your grace is given freely. Thank you that your grace is given 